The NBA GM survey is out. How did the Pacers do? Where did they fare? Where do GMs think of the Pacers? And where did they not, interestingly, think of the Pacers? Plus, ESPN's NBA player rank is out, and I have thoughts. We'll talk about it all today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, fourth solo show in a row. Apologies for that. Guests tomorrow, Monday, uh, Thursday, and Wednesday of next week to make up for it. But today, we're talking about the NBA GM survey, one of the coolest things that comes out Every single year, the NBA via John Shookman of NBA.com puts out uh, a survey of the league's GMs on a variety of topics, and you get to hear a lot about what the GMs think of certain players, of certain teams, of certain offseason things. Lots of interesting stuff in there, and ESPN put out their, or started, their uh, top 100 lists, and spoiler alert, unless they think Bruce Brown's a top 10 player, they don't think he's a top 100 player. We're going to talk about that. To close out... Today's show, but we start with the GM survey, and we're going to run through every single Pacers inclusion here for the first couple segments and talk about things that I think are correct and were omitted in ways that I think are fascinating. And the very first one already merits some deep discussion because the very first Pacer inclusion, well, is Tyrese Halliburton getting a vote from a GM, a one of 30, I presume, because he's in the uh, also receiving votes section. But they included, if someone got 7% of the vote, they got a line item that says where they were, like in the rank. And then there was another also receiving vote section. But 7% of 30 GMs is two. <laughs> That's really 6.7%. So I'm assuming other also receiving votes is just one. Tyrese Halberton gets a vote from a GM for likely players to have a breakout season in 2023-24. So on one hand... That is definitely possible. He is very motivated to make All-NBA. Um, $60 million plus dollars potentially motivated to make All-NBA. He's also already very good, and taking a step forward could happen if the Pacers are better, if he finds ways to improve, if his defense grows, if he's a little more selfish, his scoring numbers will look way better. To me, though, the interesting thing is he already had his breakout season. It was last year, going from, you know, like, a wow, this young kid's pretty good, to like, oh, this, this is one of the best you know, 20 players in the NBA. We'll talk about his rank on ESPN's list later. He's very close to that number. Like, I think he, by my definition of a breakout season, he already had it. It was last year. So for him to have another one, I mean, that is unusual. It'd be like Steph Curry winning uh, most improved player and then being having one of the best seasons ever right after. Like, that's kind of similar where he had like two breakouts in a row and then was one of the best players in the world. That, uh, like, I don't, I don't know what it would take for Halburn for me to consider it a breakout year for him. I feel like he already had one, but I think it's interesting that GMs view it in that way where it's like, oh, yeah, he was already this good. Now he can get even better. Second inclusion also merits more discussion to me. Uh, GMs were asked, which team made the best overall moves this offseason? Pacers get a vote here from one of the NBA's GMs. I believe I've heard from asking around before, by the way, you can't vote for your own team. Um, Pacers getting a vote doesn't surprise me here either. They use their assets really well. I think that is appealing to a lot of GMs who it's, a job, it's their job to build a team and juggle assets. And the Pacers had a lot of space and they used it better than probably anybody, uh, depending on how you feel about what Houston did this summer with Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and all those guys. But the Pacers used their space to 
get Bruce Brown, obviously, to take in Obi Toppin. Uh, they used their draft extra capital to get future picks, several of them, and then used two of those picks to get Obi Toppin. So basically, they traded back from seven to eight and got Obi Toppin and the guy they were going to pick at seven already, and they got Ben Shepard, and they got a future first, and they got Bruce Brown. Like Every single use of their asset was a good use for their team's long-term outlook, and I think that is something that every GM is envious of, even though the Pacers had those resources because of their constant prioritization of flexibility. Now, did those moves make the Pacers go from a 35-win team to like a lock playoff team? No right? So under those goals, you would not consider their offseason one of the best in the NBA. But in terms of just looking at the package of the overall moves they made, I think that it makes sense that they got a vote. Uh, Boston won this, which surprised me. They made good moves this offseason to me, no doubt. They're a better top six, but I didn't think they had the best summer. I actually thought the Lakers might win this one. They finished fourth. Uh, I should have actually said who won the Halliburton breakout season one. That was Anthony Edwards, which again, he it was pretty close to having a breakout season last year. I think Cade Cunningham should have won that when he finished second. Um, another off-season one the Pacers squeak into, and this is related, I think, to the one we just talked about, is what was the most underrated player acquisition of the offseason? Bruce Brown tied for third in the league with 7% of the votes, a.k.a. a bunch of GMs voted, uh, and two of them voted for several players. Fred Van Vliet got two votes. Max Struess got two votes. Yusuf Nurkic got two votes. Dylan Brooks got two votes. And Bruce Brown got two votes. With the top two being Marcus Smart and Grant Williams. I would have, I personally would have thought the winner of this would have been Smart uh, myself. So not surprised there. Bruce Brown getting two votes. Interesting to me, though. I mean, he, of course, had an awesome playoffs. I think every GM is going to think that's the case. And I think this one really, too, if it's a GM voting, Right. There was a lot of reported interest in Bruce Brown. It's part of why the Pacers had to pay the amount they did, and we'll talk about that in a second too, funnily enough, to get him. Right, took $45 million over two years to get him, and part of that money was the team option being involved, sure, but you know that's what it took to get a player who has getting mid-level offers from everywhere. Like All these teams wanted him, and so clearly a lot of teams think he has value and he's going to add wins to their program. Well, at the same time, the Pacers aren't projected to win that many more games. So perhaps that makes him by default an underrated player acquisition. And I think him landing in third on this list is reflective of that and reflective of the previous answer of teams that had good offseasons. Well, hey, there's the Pacers. And their key acquisition is getting underrated, according to some GMs. The fun part of this one, though, Obi Toppin got a vote. Obi Toppin got one vote for most underrated acquisition of the offseason. Uh, definitely the potential's there for him to be a really good fit. The two preseason games, certainly some highs, certainly some lows. We'll see. I did not think he would get a vote in this category, certainly. Uh, he got traded for, as we have said on the show, Kalen Cooper and I pocket lint. We'll see where he ends up playing for the Pacers, or how he ends up playing, excuse me, for the Pacers this season. Next, Pacer inclusion. More offseason-ish. Jason, although this one is a little different, which team will be most improved in 2023-24? I thought the Thunder would be the answer. They were the answer. I would not have voted for the Thunder. Uh, no one really cares, but the Thunder improved by like 15 wins last year. Doing that twice in a row is really hard. That's also part of the reason it might be hard for the Pacers to improve by a bunch of wins this year. I think the answer is going to be someone like Detroit or Orlando or someone like that who's like middling and trying to get a lot better. Houston, um, for example, Houston got second in this. Pacers got a vote for the team that will be the most improved. I suppose it's possible. I have talked about how there are more upside paths for the Pacers this year than downside paths for the Pacers. So I think it's very possible that they are a very improved team. The problem is we haven't seen them with Albert yet. It'd be nice to get at least a little bit of a baseline of what that's going to look like. Um, 
but I think they definitely will be better. And at worst, they'll be about the same level of team to me, right? Because they added talent and they're a young team that didn't really lose rotation players, right? Chris Duarte played in the rotation a lot last year and O'Shea Brissett did, but they weren't playing a lot and they were both replaced by better players. <laughs> so that already should make them better. Their young players getting better. Like there's a million reasons they should be better and the reasons they would be worse is just like young players are inconsistent and that that would take every single player having an inconsistent year. So it makes a lot of sense why they would be a potentially most improved team. I do think it's interesting that they got a vote though because I don't think they're in the same kind of class of consideration at least in perception this isn't maybe what i agree with but in perception of the thunders the mavs the pistons you know the magic etc a lot more coming including one more off season thing the most surprising move of the summer going to the pacers yes that's true we'll talk about that here coming up in segment number two but before we do that need to talk to you guys about the great people over at FanDuel. the nfl's rolling thursday night football tonight important game from my fantasy prospectus. And you can snap into the NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose, on that bet you you originally start with. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than that. That's a great promo. You can hop in and have tons of fun just by doing that initial $5 bet. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Jump on over to Lockdown Pistons, because like I said, I think Cade Cunningham is going to be the breakout year guy this year. Kuka Hill loved the latest on the Pistons and Cade Cunningham and their early preseason outlook. Interesting team. They have a lot of depth, low-key, on that Pistons team. The final off-season inclusion for the Pacers on the GM survey was really interesting to me um, because... I was surprised that it was surprising, if that makes sense. What was the most surprising move of the offseason was the question. Bruce Brown of the Pacers, 7% of the vote. I suppose, I think the surprising part, that word specifically, is what makes this a hang-up. Surprising is in like a player going to a certain team. I don't think that Bruce Brown of the Pacers is that surprising. Not that he was like everybody was talking about him going there kind of thing. It's not like he's like the best fit ever, although he does check so many boxes for the Pacers. And part of what makes him such a good fit is he can do so many things for them. But I think the surprising part was the contract, like what it looked like specifically. And I think that is a more fair answer. Like I don't think anybody thought Bruce Brown was getting $20 million a year, even if they knew the structure that the Pacers ended up getting him for. Um, so I think that is what makes it a surprising move, more so than Bruce Brown to the Pacers specifically or anything like that. I thought Chris Paul to the Warriors would be the winner here. Uh, that is third. <laughs> that is crazy. I can't believe he's even still on that team and playing preseason games and doing Chris Paul stuff. Um, but Bruce Brown to the Pacers gets a shout there. Uh, moving on to the coaching section. No rookies. No Jairus Walker votes for Rookie of the Year stuff. I think that's fine. He just doesn't have the skill set that typically wins that award. Uh, he didn't get the best rookie in five years stuff. And the Pacers don't have any of the top international players. So we can skip the rookies international section. The next Pacer inclusion on the list was Rick Carlisle based. He always is in these categories. The first one, which head coach makes the best in-game adjustments? Rick Carlisle ranking third from GM Spolstra first, no doubt there. Ty Lue second, also no doubt there. And then Carlisle and Nick Nurse tied for third. 
that is something Carlisle is very good at. He'll roll with a good lineup or change up this pace or switch up into his own at a good time. Um, that is just something he's been known for for forever, ever since his championship with the Dallas Mavericks where his adjustments in that series were so critical. That was a long time ago. The game has changed, but Rick Carlisle's adjustments specifically in a single game are fantastic. Pacers were awful in first quarters last year, but were one of the better second-half teams in the entire NBA because when Rick Carlisle's got time to digest and talk with his staff, that is when he is typically at his best in terms of ideas. Although I do think it's interesting to tie that in with the next thing that Carlisle got in there, and that is 7% of the votes finishing fifth in which head coach runs the best offense. Mike Brown first, Steve Kerr second, Michael Malone third, Chris Finch fourth. That one's a little trickier um, based around your talent. That is something that was a big appeal of Carlisle when the Pacers hired him is he's good at uh, sort of adjusting his per, his schemes and personnel to the players he has on the offensive end. That was a big appeal, right, with Turbonis on the team. And he is still good at that. Um, but the changes, and the reason I think this is interesting, is he doesn't call as many plays, or at least he didn't last year. He left that to Tyrese. He let the team run their random chaotic stuff, and that typically worked. With Tyrese out there, with Halberton on the floor, the Pacers' offensive rating was like top eight in the league, top seven in the league, right? Makes a lot of sense given their talent why Carlisle would get a lot of credit for that, but they finished 21st in the NBA in offensive rating last season. Granted, Halliburton did play less than two-thirds of the season, but still, uh, yes, Carlisle's offensive ideas and principles have worked very well for the Pacers. He does set up his players very well to succeed uh, on that end of the floor. He's not in the defensive answer, uh, and there are no Pacers assistants were named as one of the best assistants in the NBA. I believe some have been in the past before. Uh, none are in that this year. So that is the coaching section, although the next topic the Pacers did get a shout in is technically a coaching section, and this one is the same every year. TJ McConnell is going to make it into this one every year. Which active player will make the best head coach someday? TJ McConnell, 10% of the vote. Fourth behind Garrett Temple, Mike Conley, and Chris Paul fascinating, uh, except not really. TJ McConnell is already kind of a coach, right? The year he broke his wrist and missed a bunch of the season, he was out, but he was still like practicing by being a coach and playing defense, even though he couldn't handle the ball because his wrist was broken. He would just like keep his arms around and run with guys. And he would chat with guys all the time. And was kind of a faux coach in that role. That was really impressive. His dad's a coach, right? So he's got the genes for it. I do think that is sort of a thing, although not entirely. Um, he's got the people skills to be a coach. Both, uh, th this is a little selfish way of talking about this, but like with me, he's always, you know, very good. With I've seen his interactions with other people, teammates and staffers. He's very good in those settings. He understands basketball very well. I can tell you that from talking to him and watching him play the game. Um, I just think in general, and he's kind of good on both ends, and he understands what it takes to be a decent offensive and defensive player. That's kind of all the makings of a great coach, and the former player background will certainly help him. I don't know if he wants to coach or what level he would coach if he did, but I do think that just given the premise of the question, uh, that yes, he would be one of, if not, he'd probably be my number one choice. Uh, just from interacting with people, although Chris Paul would also be a fantastic coach. What did surprise me, not because of who this person is, but just because I didn't think about it this way. Tyrese Halberton got a vote in this category. But he also fits the description of a lot of TJ McConnell stuff. Very high emotional intelligence. Smart player. Understands the game very well. It's the kind of guy who coaches. He's been basketball his whole life. His dad was a ref growing up, right? He's just really involved in the game. It would not surprise me if Tyrese Halberton moved to the sideline one day, although I have no idea, again, if that is something that he's even interested in doing uh, in his basketball 
career. A few more. The Pac- This is, I think, the most the Pacers have been in these. They got a lot of one-off votes. Uh, they got a vote for most fun team to watch predicted this year. Denver dominated that, as they should. Uh, but the Pacers got a vote. They're crazy fast-paced style. Their high-powered offense got them in there. Uh, the Like, a lot of fast-paced teams are on this list. The Kings, obviously, who played super fast last year here. The Suns, who are playing fast now in the preseason, they're on here. The Lakers played really fast last season. They're on here. The Thunder played really fast last season. They're on here. Fast-paced teams are fun to watch. It doesn't necessarily mean they're good all the time, but they're definitely fun to watch, although a lot of the ones last year that were lightning quick were also pretty good. So um, I think that's true. I think the Pacers are a delight to watch, but you know what makes them more of a delight to watch? If they win and play important games, that will certainly be more gripping for fans this coming season. Um, This one really surprised me. This is probably the most surprising inclusion of the Pacers to me. Not because I think it's like a crazy answer, but just because I think that it's kind of slam dunked who the answer is. Um, Which team has the most promising young core was the prompt. I'm surprised it wasn't Thunder 100%. Shea, Giddy, J-Dub, Chet, and that doesn't even mention all their other young guys who are all decent to good. Lou Dort, you could even call a young player. Like They just have so many guys that are solid and young. I thought they would win. And then the Cavs are on there. That makes sense. They have Mobley and Garland and some other interesting young pieces like Okoro. Uh, but the Pacers got a vote here. They got a vote for the most promising young core. Technically, with one vote, they would be tied for fourth with the Rockets and the Pistons behind the Magic Cavs and Thunder. I just don't think the Pacers have the same level of young core as the Cavs or Thunder. Um, Mostly the Thunder. The Cavs have it on two guys. But either way, hey, good for the Pacers to get a vote here. And the reason that you would, the vote for the Pacers would be that Halberton's already really good and he's only 23. And they have so many other young guys who could pop, right? Less than four years of experience on the Pacers. Like you've got Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard as rookies plus Halberton, plus Matherin, plus Nemhard, plus Neesmith, uh, plus Smith and Jackson, um, plus Toppin. I think that's everybody uh, who at least is going to be in, potentially playing in the rotation this season. So a lot of interesting young talent that could develop into something for the Pacers. I get why they got a vote. I just was a little surprised that they got that one. And their final inclusion in the survey, which player is the best passer? Tyrese Halberton got a vote. Uh, Tyrese Halberton is a great passer, one of the best in the NBA. Nikola Jokic should have got 100% of that vote. Halberton getting fourth. LeBron and Luka sandwiching themselves between Jokic and Tyrese. Two categories the Pacers weren't in that I thought they might be. Um, player who will make the biggest impact this season. Or, uh, one acquisition that will make the biggest impact this season. So... GMs have voted and said that Bruce Brown was an underrated acquisition and a surprising one. But none of them said he'll make the biggest impact. That surprises me just because I think his impact on the Pacers will be pretty significant just because he does so many things they need by being either a secondary ball handler or a good defender or a decent shooter if they need it. Just he's already shown a lot of this stuff. He set a screen a few times in their most recent game. You know, and and Lillard's a crazy acquisition, obviously. And Drew Holiday and Bradley Beal and Porzingis and Van Vliet. Like, five All-Stars change teams. Those guys, by default, in theory, could make the most sense. But uh, I'm surprised Bruce Brown did not get a vote when Yusuf Nurkic and Dylan Brooks did get votes. And then the other one is uh, the most... Who will have the most efficient offense? Uh, This one would just be if the Pacers played every game... Or if if the Pacers played every game. If Tyrese Halberton played in every game... I think it'd be very possible for the Pacers to get top five or better. Their offense is fantastic. They can really score. Um, 
and they didn't even get a vote there. That one kind of surprised me. Kind of surprised me. Uh, the Mavs, Heat, Suns, Bucks, Celtics, Warriors, Kings, and Nuggets got the votes there. Uh, and this is not surprising. I just wanted to note it to be to wrap this up. Uh, the GMs vote on the standings or teams they think could finish in the top four in each conference in the East. Atlanta, Miami, New York, Philly, Cleveland, Milwaukee, and Boston all got votes. The Pacers did not. That is not surprising to me. Um, but that is the perceived top seven of the East. After that is where the Pacers, in my head, this whole summer could sneak into that 8 to 10 range if they have a nice season. You can read the GM survey yourself. John Chuckman put it up uh, over on NBA.com. The NBA GM survey. 50 questions to the league's GMs, and at least 13 of them have Pacers inclusions. Really interesting stuff to just see how the decision makers think of every team, every player, etc. It always takes them like two years of lag to catch up to like some strange things, but they're always ahead on all some other things. It's very interesting mind of a GM kind of stuff. And the lag isn't them not doing their job. It's just, I think, I think GMs are more about proven talent and potential. And the in-between is where things get really interesting to me with how they answer those questions. Let's close out with one more thing of content that's coming out this week. The NBA rank project from ESPN, their top 100 players in the NBA. The Pacers are on there, but not in the way I would expect. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to Lockdown Nuggets because, one, they won the championship. Two, the best passer in the NBA. We just talked about Nikola Jokic. Three, I caught some of their preseason game today when doing some rewatches. And Julian Strother looks sick. Whew. He was awesome for them in their first preseason game. And four, the Nuggets are super fun to watch, and their hosts are awesome. Adam Mares, Swipe a Cam, and, Ada, um, and HP Basketball, the King Matt Moore, will have it for you over at Lockdown Nuggets. Let's close out today's show with the final top 100 list that I will dive into this summer. It fits nicely into this show. That is ESPN's uh, NBA rank project. Why is this so interesting to me? Because Bruce Brown's not on it. <laughs> they have three Pacers players in their top 100, and Bruce Brown is not one of them. That really surprised me. They don't have an honorable mention section. But, like, let's talk about players 100 through 91. Mitchell Robinson, Jonas Valanciunas, Colin Sexton, Grant Williams, Harrison Barnes, Jalen Williams, J-Dub, the good one, Russell Westbrook, Mike Conley, Emmanuel Quickly, Josh Hart, and John Collins at 90. I can't believe that Bruce Brown's not ahead of some of those guys. Like, he he just he impacts the game in so many ways. He's a proven contender on a finals team. To, to not even be able to make it into the bottom 10 was really surprising to me, especially because this is predictive, right? They said this is the top 100 players for the 2023-24 season only. It wasn't reflective of last year. It wasn't If it was, he's a lock, right, given what he did for Denver in the playoffs. It's looking ahead this year. Well, he... he He's going to do more. He, he's going to have like probably less impact because his role will be more difficult. But he's going to do more in that he'll have more minutes and be asked to do more things. Maybe that makes him a worse player. But I'm surprised that that drops him so far that he's not considered a top 100 guy. Like I cannot consider a circumstance where Colin Sexton is a guy uh, that I'm considering a top 100 NBA player and not Bruce Brown. But they haven't released their top 10 yet. I will give credit to ESPN, perhaps they could uh, have Bruce Brown as a top 10 player. Although I can't say that I uh, I expect that to be the case. Um, the Pacers do, however, have three players in ESPN's top 100. The three They had three players in Bleacher Reports and CBS's top 100. If you want to hear more about 
those lists and the discussion behind that and where the Pacers rank, me and Dan Favalli talked about that uh, a few weeks ago. And then Benedict Matherin was also in Bleach Report's Top 100. ESPN has Buddy Heald in there at 87. Buddy Heald was 90th last year. Uh, if you're talking predictive, I think his stats, unlike Bruce Brown's, will dip just because he'll be playing off the bench and not playing with Tyrese Halberton as much, although perhaps being a secondary ball handler with second units could be fascinating for him. Uh, the way he could have this spot locked up is if he is on a contender later in the season, he's going to look pretty good and have a lot of stats just because it'll be a lot easier for him to shoot on a team that has a star-level creator. Tyrese Halberton is a star level creator, but he's not going to be playing with Buddy Heald as much this season. So we'll see where that all shakes out. And if Heald and Halbert end up playing together just as much, then it makes sense to keep him where they had him last year, where they had him 90th. Although uh, I would probably have him below Bruce Brown on my own personal list of the NBA's top 100 players. Of course, number two is Miles Turner, who always comes in somewhere between 50 and 70 on these lists. 65 is ESPN's choice for Miles Turner. Last year, you'll never guess, he was 66th. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just where he's at this year. There's no more off-court stuff for Turner. There's no more questions about his fit in the front court. He had a great year last year, although I'm surprised his great year did not vault him up a little higher, even though I think his numbers take the slightest hit this year, not because of anything he's going to do worse, but just because of Obi Toppin's inclusion to the team. Could change his role ever so slightly, not in a way that will negatively impact the team's effectiveness, but just in a way that could slightly change his stats. But two career highs last year jumped him up from 66 to 65. I find that quite funny. Right in front of him, Rudy Gobert, the center uh, who always was his one-upper as a defensive player of the year candidate, or at least a really talented defender at that five spot for years and years. Gobert had a down year last year, but certainly I think we'll bounce back this year. And of course, Tyrese Halburn's going to be here. Where is he? 21. One spot off the top 20 players in the NBA. Not surprising to me. I think he is at that level personally. Last year on ESPN's NBA rank, he was 59th. What a climb. Fantastic. Um, they did swing skills for some of the guys between 50 and 20. Um, and so they talked a lot about his playmaking and what that meant for the Pacers, and that's why he jumped so high. And I think 21 is a great spot for Halbert. I think he can climb up. The guys right in front of him, for example, Jalen Brown, Carl Anthony Towns, have done some stuff in the playoffs, but I think he can catch that kind of guy. Jamal Murray's at 17. Jamal Murray, dominant postseason player. He deserves that positioning. But like these are guys that Halbert with a good season could catch in terms of per perception. And, of course, it's a Pacers show. I have to say this. Not because it's any indictment on the trade. I just, Sabonis had an awesome year. Sabonis is 22. <laughs> Both teams did so well. I mean, that is like one of the rare perfect win-win trades. Devonta Sabonis at 22. He was 47 on ESPN's NBA rank last year. Dominant season for him. All-NBA guy. Well-deserved to see them back-to-back, -back, I think, is just too funny. You can find all those on ESPN's uh, NBA rank project. They'll have their top 10 players coming out, I believe, later this week. And if Bruce Brown's not there, which... I don't think anyone expects him to be in the top 10. Then I'll be very, very surprised at the way that he is not on that list. Thank you guys a ton for listening today. Fun stuff to break down in the content sphere. Thank you to NBA.com and ESPN for doing interesting projects that I could dive into. Tomorrow, Jay Rigdon will join us to talk about the veterans on the Pacers. Veteran questions. We're going to talk about the three players over 27 and a half years old on the Pacers. In fact, they're all over 30. Buddy Heald, Daniel Tyson, Tyre, and uh, TJ McConnell, uh, at their age, they're on-court questions. All the chat around them is not on-court related. 
want to talk about their game on the court and what it can mean for the Pacers this year and the next week we'll do more preseason thoughts and a Hawks preview with Zach Pearson we'll talk with an unnamed guest that I can't share yet we'll talk with Shane Young about the whole league our yearly annual tradition predicting uh, standings in each conference and league award winners looking forward to all that thank you guys a ton for listening today have a good one see you tomorrow